0: Well, hey, um, if you're visiting for the first time, welcome. Um, it's good to see your faces. And uh, my name's Chuck. I'm one of the pastors here. Josh and Jen, good to see you guys. Good to see you. Can we just welcome Josh and Jen back to Kingdom Life? What if ev- what if every time, like, we saw somebody come back for the first time, we're like, hey, Kingdom Life, let's welcome so-and-so. That's what- how to embarrass people one-on-one. Um, so we won't do that. Uh, but... My name is Chuck. I'm one of the pastors here. And I do um, have uh, a message that's on my heart um, that uh, I really feel is from the Lord. Um, but before I do that, I just want to share um, a couple testimonies. Uh, I heard a testimony last Sunday. By the way, how many of you know that in the midst of just so much going on in the world, sometimes it's just it's just good to hear some good news? It's just good to hear some good news of, you know, things that God's doing in and through his people on behalf of his sons and daughters. Just this past Sunday, um, somebody came up and shared a testimony with me. And uh, there was um, a mother and a daughter that just started coming to Kingdom Life a few weeks ago. And uh, this daughter decided to invite one of her friends um, to our church. But before she came to our church, they actually led her to Jesus in their living room. They had her over to their house just to hang out. They led her to Jesus in their living room. I think it was like last Saturday or something like that. The next day, they take her to a church. She visits a church in the city uh, somewhere on Sunday morning where they were doing water baptisms, and she was water baptized right there. So she got like born again on Saturday, water baptized Sunday morning. Sunday night, this mom and her daughter bring their daughter's friend to kingdom life, and during worship, right around in this section over here, she was baptized in the Holy Spirit and began speaking in tongues as the presence of God just came upon her. <laughs> nobody laid hands on her. Nobody prayed for her right there. Just in the atmosphere, she began speaking in tongues, and the people that brought her got to coach her through it and help her, you know, with that a little bit. But isn't that amazing? Can we just thank Jesus that the Holy Spirit is on the move? And... Uh, Just another testimony, I had the honor um, of preaching here at New Life Fellowship uh, at this church where we've been meeting this morning, and I had an awesome team with me. Paula, um, Ozark, Derek Derek Torovic, Sarah Hash came with me. They are just on fire, and they're prophesying over people after I preached, and and they started to release healing. In fact, during ministry time, as we're prophesying, Sarah said, Chuck, first of all, Derek had a word of knowledge that somebody over in this area um, with trouble hearing that God was opening their ear. Sure enough, a guy raises his hand and said that he has trouble in the same ear that Derek said. After Derek prayed, he said, I felt something happen and my ear is starting to open up. Can we just thank the Lord for that? And then... And then Sarah said, Chuck, do you think that we can just kind of pray for everybody that has pain in their body? I'm like, absolutely. Sounds like a great idea. So we said, if you have any pain in your body at all, stand. People stood all over the room. Sarah prayed just one corporate prayer of healing for everybody that was standing. And we said, raise your hand if if you're experiencing healing. Hands went up all over the room. And then we invited people to come forward to share a testimony. We had a line of people that had absolute 100% healing in their body. And one of them was a gentleman. Gentleman who had chronic neck pain since the 80s. He said he hasn't gone a day without pain. This morning, God took away every bit of his pain. And for the first time that he can remember since the 80s, he was pain-free. Can we just get a little bit excited about that? That just God is a good God that's healing his kids and that's moving on behalf of his sons and daughters. So I just, I just want to declare right now that if you need healing in your body, you have permission to get healed. Right where you're sitting, just throughout the, throughout the night, just throughout the service, I just declare just that same testimony, moving among you, healing your bodies, releasing healing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, if you have your Bibles, go with me to the book of John, chapter 12. John chapter 12, and uh, I'm actually going to read from the Passion Translation, because I love the way that it's worded here. And this passage of scripture is about Mary anointing Jesus with a costly perfume as they gathered in the house. And it says this in John chapter 12, serving in verse one, six days before the Passover began, Jesus went back to Bethany, the town where he raised Lazarus from the dead. They had prepared a supper for Jesus. Martha served and Lazarus and Mary were among those at the table. First of all, could you imagine just like chilling with your family and friends and Jesus and your brother Lazarus, who just happened to be raised from the dead, you know, I don't know how long before. This is just kind of a crazy picture to me. And verse three, it says, Mary picked up an alabaster jar filled with nearly a liter of extremely rare and costly perfume, the purest extract of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet. Then she wiped them dry with her long hair, and the fragrance of the costly oil filled the house. But Judas the locksmith, Simon's son the betrayer, spoke up and said, What a waste. We could have sold this perfume for a fortune and given the money to the poor. In fact, Judas had no heart for the poor. He only said this because he was a thief and in charge of the money case. He would steal money whenever he wanted from the funds given to support Jesus' ministry. Verse 7 Jesus said to Judas, Leave her alone. She has saved it for this. She, is, she has saved it for the time of my burial. You'll always have the poor with you, but you won't always have me with you. Of course, meaning that he was getting ready to go to the cross, be risen from the dead, and seated at the right hand of the Father. And I love this story because, you know, as a house, kingdom life, one of our core values is extravagant worship. One of our core values is extravagant, like I want to say excessive, uh, just lavish worship unto the person of Jesus. You know, on Sundays when we gather, we want people to come in and feel free to express themselves in worship to God in the way that's on their heart. That's why we tell people, if you want to raise your hands, raise your hands. If you want to kneel, kneel. If you want to come up here and dance, come up here and dance. If you want to twirl in the air, twirl in the air. If you'd rather just sit in your seat and, and just kind of soak in God's presence, we want you to be free to do that. But our point is this. We want to be a people and we want to create an atmosphere where people can come in and connect with. God in worship and also have freedom to worship extravagantly before the Lord. You know, we want to be a family that, as a lifestyle, we live lifestyles of worship and then we live lives of surrender and humble obedience to the Lord on a regular basis. Um, but we're a people of extravagant worship. And uh, but what I love is that when it comes to worship, When we worship and we position our hearts and our bodies to worship God, first of all, let me just say this. We were created to worship. How many of you know that part of the reason we were created, we were created for relationship with God. The sole reason we were created was to have relationship with God. And part of that relationship is that we would be a people that offer him our praise, our worship. We pour our, our, our hearts out, our voices out, our lives out before him. See, here's the deal. We're all called to love people. Husbands are called to love their wives. Wives love their husbands. We love our kids. We're called to love our neighbor. We're called to love the person that's in front of us. But how many of you know that there's one thing that's reserved for God, the king of the universe, and him alone, and that is our our worship, our adoration, our praise, and it's actually our worship unto him. And the thing about worship and why worship is so important is because, because we were created to worship, It's in a place of worshiping God that we actually discover who we really are. Like when we will make a decision whether it's on a Sunday you know, afternoon, sometimes I forget when we meet, I've been kind of in church all, all day today, whether we come together on a Sunday afternoon or we're driving in our car worshiping or home alone in our quiet time before the Lord or dancing in our living room before him or just sitting on a park bench telling him how much we love him, when we position our hearts and we choose to worship him, we are choosing to step into the reason we are created and it's in a place of worship that you will actually discover who you are. I don't know how many times I've just been in the presence of God by myself worshiping him and it's in that place of worship where God starts to drop dreams in my heart and actually starts to reflect back on me who he says that I am. We are created to worship and when we worship it actually releases identity because we're actually functioning in the very thing that we were created for. Is this making sense to anybody at all? So we have a call to worship But one of the things that I love about, you know, this picture and this story of Mary pouring this costly perfume on the feet of Jesus is her worship was crazy worship. Like her worship was excessive, like to the point where I wouldn't be surprised if some of the people in the house, when Mary broke open this alabaster jar of perfume perfume and anointed Jesus' feet, I wouldn't be surprised if some of the people in the house were like, I mean, Mary, we know you like Jesus, but, like, isn't this, like, a little much? Like, it was excessive. You, you need to understand that the alabaster jar of this, a liter of this oil perfume that was extremely rare, extremely expensive, beautiful fragrance, came in, like, this glass, clay-type jar that she literally had to break open, and you, she wasn't going to seal that back up. It's not like you could seal it back up. So when she broke that open, she broke it open with the, with the purpose and the intent, I believe, of pouring the entire liter of oil out on Jesus' feet. Pouring the whole thing out, which is a picture that God doesn't just want some of our hearts. He wants all of our hearts. He wants our entire being. We're called to love the Lord our God with all of our strength, with all of our soul, with all of our might. And so she starts to pour this out, but her worship was extremely extravagant, extremely excessive. And you know where else we see this? Is we see this in the life of King David. David was such a worshiper that, you know, we read a story in 2 Samuel 6 about how the Ark of the Covenant, which contained the presence of God, represented the presence of God, wherever it went, people were blessed. It was the presence of God in this ark. And somehow the ark of the covenant ended up in the backyard of this guy named Obed-Edom. And David heard, he, he caught wind, that because the ark was, was like camped out in the backyard of this guy named Obed-Edom, that Obed-Edom's entire family was getting ridiculously blessed. He heard that they were blessed financially, relationally, their health. Everything about them was just extremely blessed because they had the Ark of the Covenant in their backyard. So David, being the wise king that he is, said, you know what? I think we should go get that Ark. <laughs> so David and all of his men go on this journey of getting the ark back and bringing it back to the holy city so that they had the presence of God in their midst. And I want to read the story of what David did, not just after he got the ark, but what he did just on his way, bringing the ark, knowing that the presence of God was coming. And it says this in 2 Samuel chapter 6, starting in verse 11. It says this, The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now, King David was told the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the Ark of God. So David went to bring the Ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. Verse 13, when those who were carrying the Ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fatted calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all of his might. While he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, who was also David's wife, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, and it goes on, saying he blessed his people. He gave them food. Verse 20, when David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, very sarcastically, I might add, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of all the slave girls and of his servants, as any vulgar feller would do. (laughs) Ouch. David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over Lord's people, Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. And listen to this. I will become even more undignified than this. I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. Now, this is kind of a crazy story. Like, they're, they're, they have this parade carrying the ark back to the city. David's dancing before the Lord. There's music playing while they're carrying it. But what's wild to me is it says every six steps they sacrificed before the Lord a calf and a bull. Now, if you do the math, like from the house of Obed Edom to the city of David, it's something like. Uh, it's, it's something like 12 to 15 kilometers. And if you do the math, you would, that, that would take about 30 paces to walk the distance. And if they sacrificed before the Lord every six paces, it means that during that journey, they sacrificed about 3,500 times. That is wild, that is crazy, and it's kind of disgusting. Like, the blood, the guts, everything else that would have been, you know, I heard one person say, like, no wonder David danced with all of his might once they actually finally got to the city. (laughs) But my point is this. David was so excessive and exuberant and lavish in his relationship to the Lord that he's like, I'm not just carrying this thing to the city. We're going to sacrifice every six steps. I'm going to dance as we go. We're going to organize music as we go. And we're going to worship God with all of our hearts and once we got to get, once he got to the city um, even though he was king he humbled himself and like took off his royal robe and just danced with all of his might before the lord and when he was criticized he's like he's like you haven't seen anything yet we're talking about god almighty i will become even more undignified than this like god i believe listen if that's the way david acted because he had the ark coming to his city, how much more should we, because we have the very presence of God resting upon us and living inside of us, be lavish and extravagant with our worship before the Lord? We're, 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 just, we're called to lavish our worship upon the Lord. So, so Mary breaks open this alabaster jar and poured probably an entire... Leader of perfume on Jesus' feet, but not only was it was it expensive. It says that it was extremely rare. It was from this rare like uh, n- plant called nard in northern India, and it came from the root of this of this plant. And it says it was extremely rare. And what I love about this is I believe it's a picture of our worship before the Lord. How many of you know that because we're all created? uniquely by God, we can actually, when we worship him, touch his heart in a way that nobody else can touch his heart. Like when Derek worships God, because he is so uniquely designed by God, That, like when he worships the Father, when he tells God how much he loves him, I believe this, he actually touches a part of God's emotions that nobody else in this room can touch. That nobody else on the planet can touch. And that goes for every single one of you. When you make a decision to worship Jesus, you actually touch the emotions of God in a way that nobody else can. We're not just all like, you know, one common people that, you know, equally touch God's heart. Like, uh, my, I, have, I have three girls now. Autumn, Charlie, they're our twin daughters, four years old. And I have, uh, uh, we have a four-month-old um, London as well who's down here with my wife, Anna. And, like, I love them all equally, but they can all touch me in a unique way. Does that make sense? In the same way, like, it's like when they smile, when they talk to me, like, when Charlie runs to me and says, Daddy, it touches my heart in a different way than when autumn comes and when, when you know, uh, London's, you know, at a stage where she just looks at us and smiles all the time. It's like when there's just that little smile touches my heart in such a unique way. I love them equally but they all have a unique place in my heart. Listen, that's the way it is before, with us before God. Our worship as individuals is rare, and you can offer him something that nobody else can offer him. So that's why even when we come in a corporate setting, and we come come together to worship, don't think of it as, oh, I'm just going to join this group worshiping God. Think of it as when I sing and I open my mouth and I raise my hands and I tell Jesus how much I love him, he's actually listening to everybody else, but he's also listening to just me. And I'm actually touching him in a way that nobody else can touch him. It's really, really personal. I love the story that Dan Moeller, one of my favorite You know, preachers tells, he talks about how he went through this season where whenever he spent time alone with the Father, alone with God, his devotional time, he would go to get get alone with God in his room. And he said he would kind of like almost like like a little kid tiptoe into the room, quietly close the door behind him and then turn around and say, here I am, Father, your son, it's just you and me. And he would just spend all this time worshiping and spending time with God. And every day he would come into this room and he would, he would open the door. He would quietly come in. He would close. He was be like, Father, here I am, just you and me. And he said one day he was doing what he normally does. And he comes in and he opens the door. And he comes in like a little kid and he closes it. And he turns around and he says, Here I am, Father. And all of a sudden he sees an open vision. And he sees an open vision of heaven opened. And he heard this holy hush by God himself go, Shh my son has come to spend time with me. And he was locked in just looking down on just Dan. Listen, we all touch his heart in a way that nobody else can. And therefore, when we worship him, we're actually offering him rare worship that moves him. Like, does it blow your mind that you can move the heart of God? The all-powerful, uncreated, always was, always will be eternal God And we can touch his emotions. So it says it was expensive and extremely rare. You know, it's estimated that this jar of perfume was valued at about $54,000. How do you know that's pretty expensive perfume? (laughs) Um, When's the last time you got perfume for Christmas that was $54,000? It's, it was valued at, based on it being a leader and based on the value of this rare, expensive perfume. It was valued at about $54,000. Like, and and you know, a lot of people believe that this could have been an investment. People would buy that as an investment to hang on to. Some believe that it was actually Mary's inheritance. But she was so moved by the one who was in her midst that she just takes that thing, cracks it open, and pours it out on the feet of Jesus. There's something about giving Jesus all that we are and pouring it all out before him that I believe so touches his heart. So it was rare, it was expensive, and you know what? How many of you know that sometimes worship costs us something? Sometimes it costs to worship, you know? In another place, David was on his way to offer sacrifices, and he's going into this land, and he meets a guy who's a man of that of that city, and he meets King David, and he's like, David, what, what, what's bringing you to my city? He said, I've come by the word of the Lord to offer sacrifices, and, and I've come to buy a, thresh, a, a threshing floor from you and all the materials that I need and all the animals that I need to offer sacrifice. And he's like, listen, you're the king. Whatever you want, I give it to you. It's yours. And David's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to pay you for it because I don't want to offer God anything that doesn't cost me something. And I believe that sometimes as God's people, we need to understand that sometimes our worship needs to cost us something. And, you know, how many of you know that sometimes worship comes really, really easy because things are going really well? The presence of God is in our midst and we come together corporately and it's easy to worship. But how many of you know that sometimes worship is actually a sacrifice of praise? Sometimes it's actually, sometimes we don't feel like it. Sometimes it's almost painful to do it. But we get to that place where we're like, Lord, despite what I'm feeling, despite my brokenness, I choose to worship you. And it's in our brokenness and our weakness when we choose to worship anyway that I believe God, that touches God just as much as our worship when things are going really well all around us and we're feeling the goosebumps on our goosebumps. Sometimes worship's a sacrifice. Everybody say sacrifice of praise. Hebrews 13, 15 says this, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. The other thing that it says about this perfume is that it was the purest extract of nard, which I believe speaks of the purity of worship that we're we're called to offer God. And when I say purity of worship, I don't mean worship that's pure because we're perfect or because, you know, we haven't made any mistakes that day. I'm talking about the purity of worship that comes when we offer God our worship despite the mess that we're in. That's purity of heart. It's sincerity. It's, it's, it's just, it's coming to him raw and honest before God. Purity of worship is being raw and honest before him. You know, David was like this all through Psalms. If you read Psalms, you know, one moment David's just like lamenting before God, saying all of my enemies are coming against me and I'm a worm and life is horrible and I'm sick. And then, and then he starts talking about God's goodness. He's like, God, but you're amazing and your mercies are going to get me through this. And it's like he's talking himself into the revelation of the goodness of God. And by the end of the Psalm, he's like, God, you're so awesome. I worship you. And it's like he's a different person. And, and God loves our raw, honest worship before him. And uh, Chris Dupre, a worship leader that's been around for a long time, said this. He said, purity in worship is not the same as attaining perfection in worship. Pure worship is that wonderful moment when a struggling heart is able to get past itself and give honor and praise to the worthy one. And he receives the incomplete offerings of that weak vessel with open arms. When it is offered in simplicity and sincerity, one small sacrifice of praise becomes something holy and powerful and pure. And you know what else I think is pure worship? It's when we're more God conscious than we are self-conscious. It's like there's no shame or no condemnation, but ever ever notice that sometimes it's easy for people to just lose their mind at a basketball game, you know, or, like, go crazy in their living room when they're watching football, but get in a worship service, and all of a sudden, like, we can be really self-conscious. Like, have you ever been, you don't have to raise your hand. I'll raise my hand because it, you know. It still happens to me. Have you ever just been in a worship service and just you want to so bad do something to express yourself? Like maybe you feel like, I just want to raise my hands. I just want to kneel before the Lord. Or maybe you, you like, just feel the string. I just want to dance before God. Or I just want to, you know, I want to do something I've never done before. I just feel this you know, stirring of my spirit to do it. But there's such a, a self-consciousness and awareness of the people around us that we just we just kind of hold back. Well, I believe pure worship is when we get past that, when we're God-aware than we are people-aware. And we're more God conscious than we are self-conscious. I don't know about you, but I remember, I still remember like as a new Christian, the first time that I raised my hands in church. Does anybody remember that? I remember I got saved in a vineyard church in Canada. And I remember the presence of God is filling the service and I'm watching other people worship. I'm like, man, they look so free. I want to do that. And I remember like the first few times, like doing it, it's like I started here, you know? And then I just like, I would slowly go like this. And then when I did it, I, I would still feel, I still felt so self-conscious that I was just, but I did it. Next time it was a little bit easier. And then it was a little bit easier. And now, I mean, obviously, like, I just do it, you know what I mean, without, without thinking, thinking about the people around me. But I really believe that pure worship is getting stripped from the fear of man and stepping into the fear of the Lord and being free to worship him extravagantly the way that's in our heart. That's pure worship. And let me just say this. People are thinking about us and looking at us way less than we think they are. You know, we all think people are thinking about us and looking at us way more than they are. They're just not. So let's just be free to worship and be free to worship him the way that our spirit is calling us to worship him. Does this make sense? And, you know, part of being more God conscious than self conscious means that we trust in his righteousness and not our own. What do I mean by that? Because the devil hates when we worship God, one of the things that he loves to do when we come into a place of worship is he, like, he likes to bring shame, condemnation, and tell you all of the reasons why you shouldn't be worshiping God. But see, how many of you know that it's not our own righteousness that makes us worthy or makes us able to worship him anyway? It's all what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. So we need to, we need to anchor our faith in his righteousness And that he has made us holy. And if you walk in on a Sunday or you feel like worshiping God in your bedroom and the devil wants to bring shame, condemnation, and tell you all the reasons you can't, you say, "Mm, you know what, nice try. Jesus' blood paid the price for anything that I've done and everything that I will do. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And I worship before him in righteousness. And when he looks at me, he's delighted, he is pleased, and he likes me. And when we choose to worship despite that and trust in his righteousness and not our own, that's pure worship before the Lord. Thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) Pure worship is raw and honest before God. I said that Psalm 51, 17. David said, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. And the last thing that I want to say, and the worship team can start coming back up, is it says that, The fragrance of the costly oil filled the entire house where they were gathered. You know, when we come together to worship God, I believe there is aroma, there is an aroma, there is a fragrance, there is a scent that goes up before the throne of God that really, really, really moves his heart. When you live a lifestyle of worship at home by yourself, driving in your car, walking down the street, you move his heart in a way that nobody else can. And you offer a fragrance before his throne that comes up before the very throne of God. I've only, I've only had this happen a couple times, but I know some of you, or you've at least heard about it, where you're in a worship service or you're in a prayer meeting and you start to literally smell the fragrance of heaven where the the fragrance of God and the fragrance of his presence starts to fill the room, I believe that sometimes it's it's because God is so moved by our prayer, our worship, our lives before him that he's like, hey, let me just give you a little glimpse of what your life smells like before me. And he starts to release that very fragrance back unto us because our worship is like a sweet-smelling fragrance before the throne of Jesus. And tonight, what I want us to do is I want us to invite us just into that place of surrender and that place of just recommitting to a lifestyle of worship, and we're just we're going to go back into another song, and we're going to worship for a little bit more. and And I just want to say this: for some of you, it's going to come really easy, because things are, you know you just love worship and you just love doing it. For some of you, it might be a sacrifice of praise. You might you know you might not feel like it at all, but because He's God, you might say, "Lord, I'm going to offer a sacrifice of praise, and I'm going to choose to worship You." and watch him encounter you when by faith you start to worship him. And and I really believe that the Lord just wants us to offer up one more fragrance and he's gonna encounter us as we do that. So let's just all stand together where we are. And we're gonna go into some more worship. If you wanna come up to the front, you can come up to the front. You can stay in your seat where you are if you want to, but we're just gonna offer another song, another time of worship before the Lord. And just before that, we do that. I wanna pray. Father, I just thank you for every person that's here tonight, every person that's watching online. And Lord, I thank you that you have created us to have relationship with you, and you have created us to worship. And it's in a place of worship, praise and adoration that we discover more of who you are and we discover more of who we are because we are created to worship. And I pray, Lord, that as we offer this song to you, as we just offer this time of worship, that you would encounter us afresh, that you would release refreshing, that you would release healing, that you would release breakthrough. And Lord, I just ask that you would offer our worship as a sacrifice of praise, that your heart would be moved and you would meet with your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just as we go into worship, if you want to come on up to the front, come on up to the front. Or if you want to kneel, you can kneel. But we're just going to spend a little bit more time just pouring our lives out on the Lord.